Peters, and uh, tonight I want to pre- preach a message called Story of My Life. We've been doing a series on favor, and uh, this is just one little chapter uh, of our life as uh, believers, as parents, as pastors, as children, as disciples of Jesus. We're only on chapter two of this little story called City of God, and we're glad that you're a part of it. Uh, we've got a lot more chapters to go, so don't look around and be like, oh, this is only, this is the beginning. I haven't seen anything. You know, sometimes when you watch a, like a movie, a TV series or something in the first episode, it can kind of go one of two ways. Like one, like get you hooked right away and you're like, I got to watch this, right? Then there's the other one that's kind of the slow burn. It's like, Eh, let me just watch one more episode. You know what I mean? I understand that when you look around, you're like, okay, let me just see what, what the next episode is going to be like. Well, we're, we're in that phase. We're, we're going on to the, the action part. So get ready. Yeah. Amen. We're going to go to two services on Easter and that's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to resurrect Los Angeles by the grace of Jesus. See people come and get saved and be made disciples. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Come on. It's a good place to say amen. So don't, don't, don't give up. Jesus, he's never going to let you down. I've been singing that song for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, man, he's never going to let, he's never going to let you down. And uh, I love that because he's not. There's that dump truck you see around town that says, Jesus will never dump you. That doesn't sound as good in music. Jesus, will, he'll never dump you. Nah, no one's going to sing that. So we got it more eloquently said, Jesus will never let you down. And he never will. He never has. He's not going to. And that's kind of what this series of favor is about, is that no matter where you are in the story of your life, uh, Jesus has not let you down. And uh, we're talking about getting into a new chapter in a new era. And that's what really the favor of God is. As we begin to walk and, and march in our journey towards becoming like Jesus and towards eternity, we've got a story. And maybe you've seen it on the Internet, all over Twitter or whatever. Whenever kind of like something bad happens, you'll see the hashtag SOML. And uh, for those of you who don't know, that's story of my life. Some of you are like, where is Somo anywhere? Is that sound, sounds cool? No, it's story of my life, okay? Just in case you're wondering, all the older people are like, oh, good to know that story of my life. Hashtag right now. And uh, usually we put it with something that kind of didn't go as good, right? You got in line, and most of our stuff is kind of like, you know, first world problems. You know, I got stuck in traffic late for my appointment. Hashtag story of my life. You know what I mean? Got in line to Starbucks, and they were out of chocolate syrup. Hashtag S-O-M-L, Right? Story of my life. I always get in line and something bad happens. I started going two steps forward and three steps back. Story of my life, right? You following me? You with me, right? Just got a bonus. Sweet. Awesome. Just got in a car accident. Story of my life, right? That's what seems to happen. Every time we we start moving forward and getting into the good part, the, the meaty part of the life or the chapter or whatever it is, something bad comes along and it's called the devourer of the devil. And something bad comes along and it's like, oh man, I, I was right on the verge of something amazing going on, but now I'm back with the place where I started. Story of my life. Say that. Say story of my life. But I want to offer up a new story. In fact, I want to offer up really a new chapter where the one where you stop repeating the bad things, the one where you stop repeating what you just had, the the quote unquote, the story of your life. It's really not the story of your life. It's really just a chapter. And everybody knows that in a good story, there's got to be drama. There's got to be tension. There's got to be somewhere for the protagonist to have to have something to overcome. Right. It's no fun to read about the guy who just obliterates everybody all the time and never has any shortfalls, shortcomings, pitfalls. That almost sound like a spoken word right there. You might want to write that down, Mac. There's, it's no fun to see somebody who just breezes through life on easy street. Right. But it's also no fun to just see somebody just get beat down on the school of hard knocks all the time. 
right? It's, this is no fun. So we find that middle ground, which is, man, I, I'm going good. Something kind of gets in my way, but then I learn to overcome it, right? And then, and then I have the victory and everyone's chanting my name, Rudy, Rudy. Remember that story, Rudy, about the little guy who wanted to play football was too small. And everyone told him he was too small. And he gets out there and he says, I'm going to do it because his heart was huge, but his body was little, right? But he gets out there and I didn't even see the movie, but I just know they start chanting his name, Rudy. And that was it. You know what I mean? It sells good enough for me. Feel good movie there. I felt good because I read the title. Rudy, you know what I mean? Then you've got, you know, remember the title? was it Revenge of the Titans. That's a combination of Revenge of the Sith and Remember the Titans. It's where Darth Maul comes. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, what is going on right now? There's this idea, though, that there's, there's, a, there's a story out there. And every one of us is living in a story. We, we, we're writing the chapters of our life. Nobody, as you get in it, let's just say you get in a chapter two, and chapter two is like, man, he got a flat tire, and then the car drove by, and the puddle came all over him, right? And then chapter three, he finally gets, chapter three, he gets through that, and then he goes into, and he gets another flat tire, and then a car comes by through the puddle, <laughs> splashes over his life. And then chapter four, he gets out of it, but then he gets another flat tire, and then... That would be the stupidest book ever, right? Nobody, you after chapter five, you're like, is there anything good going to happen to this guy? Is he always going to get a flat tire? What is his problem? Yet a lot of people are in that repetition, that life. They start getting somewhere and then they get a flat tire and the car, the dirty wave comes over them. Why? Story of my life. We don't want to be in that. There's a new chapter that needs to be written. One where the tire doesn't get flat and the wave of mud water doesn't come crashing over you. One where you go past the flat tire or better yet you help the guy with the flat tire and you show him how not to get flat tires. Right? Right? That's the better chapter. That's the better story. We want to become a person who writes a new chapter tonight. And no matter where you are in your life tonight... Tonight we can write and we can start a new chapter. Maybe you're in the middle of a good chapter and you don't want it. That's okay. Keep writing that good chapter. Life is a series of decisions. And the better decisions that we make, read the ones that follow God's will, those better decisions are going to lead to better results. That doesn't mean you're not going to get a flat tire every now and again. But what it does mean is that when you get a flat tire, you have a spare in the back. A full-size spare too. Not one of those little weenie donut wheels that they put on there and then it's like what's wrong with that car oh it's a spare tire right but one where you have the full wheel that's the way god wants us to live in the midst of trial in the midst of tribulation we're able to go through it and get to a better place because we're writing a chapter we're not just ending the story in this bad chapter boo for that right and the question, of course, becomes, how do we break this pattern? How do we end this chapter and start a new one? And that's the question that we're going to look at tonight. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, turn to Romans 8.28, or it'll be on the screen for us, and I'm going to read it to you aloud. New King James Version says this, And we know, say we know, we know. that all things work together for good. Say good, good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you as living and sharper and powerful. God, I thank you tonight, Lord, that we can celebrate this anniversary, Lord, as your bride, the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. God, we say happy birthday to you, to us, Lord. God, we thank you that tonight the word is going into good soil. Lord, each and every one of us is good soil. We hear the word, we receive the word, and we do the word, and we produce a harvest of 30, 60, and uh, and 100 fold. And everybody who said that shouted, Amen. Just in case you don't know, this is an interactive style church. So you can say amen. You can say that's good. You can say that's whack. If it is whack, if you want to say something like that, uh, you can say, go ahead and preach it, whatever. Just 
you know, obviously if you're cussing, that's your own problem. But uh, we don't want to really do that around here during the message. Uh, if you stub your toe or get a flat tire, the Lord will forgive you. Amen. Amen. My wife just gave me the dirtiest look. What are you saying? Don't ruin this anniversary. I'm just kidding. And we know that God works all things together for good. It's an oversimplification just to say Jesus, and yet he is the answer. And it is the easiest thing to say when anything goes uh, bad or good or whatever. We can just say Jesus because in his name is everything. It's totally awesome. It's good. It's perfect. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. And so it's great to be able to say Jesus is the answer. But sometimes we need a little bit of elaboration or a little bit of articulation as to what aspect of Jesus I need in this instance. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God giving himself a number of different names, a number of different names in Hebrew, which translate over into English. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's the God who's there. He's the banner over us. He's the, he's the mighty one. He's the victorious one. All these different names were revealing all different aspects of God. So when we get into the New Testament, we also see that Jesus does the same thing. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the door of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm, I'm the light. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. All these different things. He's saying them, and he's revealing who he is. And so tonight we want to have God reveal himself for who he is. That in the story of our life, what can Jesus, how can Jesus help me through this particular chapter? What is it that I can get out of by the grace of God or get into by the grace of God? Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're talking about how do you get stuck? How do you get out of that story of my life circle? And this is all part of our series on favor. And we say this, our major premise is that God's favor is not like a frequent flyer mileage program. You nor I can store up enough, cannot, we cannot store up enough miles of God's favor. His favor is unmerited and it's undeserved. And if you want more about that, go back and listen to last week's message. But it's completely given by his love and his goodwill. It has nothing to do with our goodness or our mileage, which is how a lot of people view favor, view grace, view God's love, is the more good things I can do, that's how I get on God's good side. And the more bad things I do, that's how I get on His bad side. Well, here's the thing. Pretty much every quote-unquote good thing we can do in and of our own selves is never going to be good enough, which is why He had to send His Son Jesus to give us His righteousness. Amen. And then that now makes us favored and blessed and graced by God. Amen for that. We can do nothing to earn his favor. We can only accept his favor. We often miss this because we believe we fail to believe in one crucial underlying doctrine. And that's this three words. God is good. Because we don't really believe that, I mean, we kind of think that, oh yeah, we know God's good, we've heard it, God's good, God loves me, all these good things. But when, really, when push comes to shove, we, we kind of forget about that. No, the reason things are going bad in my life is because I'm a bad person. Well, we've already established that. Every one of us has sin nature. Every one of us is bad, quote unquote. But when God comes upon us and he saves us, he changes our nature. And so it's in that instance that God's judgment is now covered. We're now under the umbrella of his grace because of what his son Jesus did for us. God is good. Not God is bad. God is good. The truth is good and comfortable now are not the same words, right? 
Don't confuse God's goodness with a life of ease and comfort. His goodness transcends earthly comfort and is really focused on eternal security. We often view comfort in an earthly perspective, but it doesn't really equate to security for eternity. Let me give you an example. It's not comfortable to step out in faith and believe in an invisible God, right? It's not as comfortable, sometimes even in a context of maybe a gathering, maybe you're not as comfortable lifting up your hands or singing out, worshiping God with your voice. It's not as comfortable, yet at the same time, it is a good thing to do that, to get out of your spiritual comfort zone, get out of who you are, and step into a moment of faith. Right? It's not always comfortable to tell somebody at your office or whatever that you are a part of a church on Sundays, you believe in Jesus, you read your Bible, you believe that God can do all these great things, He can heal people, He's good for good to everybody, all this kind of thing. It may not be comfortable, but it's necessary, right? Especially nowadays, it's not, it's not comfortable to do that. Everybody else can say whatever else they want to about all the crazy things that are going on in their life, and they, they, they have no problem enforcing their false doctrines and their theologies and their beliefs all over us, but we're over here going, ah, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Don't force your beliefs on me. I just said I was going to eat lunch and pray for it. And how dare you Christians do all that kind of stuff? Like, hey, I, I just, I'm going to do it, you know. It's not comfortable, but I'm going to step out in faith. And that's the thing is that we need to be stepping out in faith. It's not comfortable to love and forgive those who have offended or wounded us, those who have hurt us. It's it's not comfortable to do that. Yet, if we do not forgive, God cannot forgive us. And so understand the difference between good and comfortable. Okay, they're not always the same. What we're really looking for, our only comfort is truly Jesus. That there's a reward for us in heaven for serving Him here on earth. Amen? Amen. Are you seeing the difference? Yes, okay, two of you, great. Now the rest of you will get on the way. The story of our lives should now be focused on eternity over comfort. In fact, that's one of our definitions of the word disciple. Our mission statement here at City of God is fully formed disciples on mission. And that word disciple, one of the things that a disciple is, a disciple is focused on eternity should be having their eyes above what is going on on earth. Colossians 3, 2, one of my favorite verses. Fix your eyes on things above, not on things of this earth. Get them up there and see what God sees. What about, what about bad things happening to good people? Fix your eyes on heaven and see what Jesus says about it. What about what I'm going through? Fix your eyes on Jesus and see what he sees about this situation. It may not be comfortable down here. I understand that, but fix your eyes, get them up there in heaven and see what God sees. And you'll see that there's something going on. There's some working in our life that God is trying to get at. And sometimes he's got to get you uncomfortable. Because in our comfort, we end up doing less for Him because, it well, things are going all right, but all of a sudden things aren't going as well. And what happens? God gets your attention, doesn't He? Right? All of a sudden a bill comes in that shouldn't come in. You're like, hold on here. Uh, Lord, what is this all about? You know, what is going on? All of a sudden you start praying again, right? We shouldn't be people that pray only when bad things happen. Right? Oh, we shouldn't be people that love only on February 14th. We should be loving and praying and reaching and speaking and doing all these things 365 days of the year. Amen. 
Amen. So let's look at this. I just want to break down this verse, which is one of our favorite things to do at City of God, is just take one verse, break it on down, and pull out what we see. So let's just start off here at the beginning of this verse, Romans eight twenty eight. We know. So Paul starts off this epic verse, epic because it answers a ton of theological questions. He starts off this verse with a plea to our should-be common knowledge. He's saying we we know this thing. We know, and the question really is, do you know? And if you do, what is it that you know? Do you know that God is good? Right? We say, we know. Paul's saying this. We know, guys, talking to all the Romans. Hey, we all are on the same page about this, right? We know that all things work together for good. So he's saying, look, you guys should know what I know, right? Do you know what Jesus knows? Do you know what Peter knows? Do you know what Paul knows? That God is good. You have to start with that foundation. God is good. It's the basis for repentance. Paul says earlier in Romans that the goodness of God leads men to repent, to change, to see what's going on in their life, realize it's not as good, and to turn and start going God's direction because what he has is better. That's what we should all know, that God's goodness. They recognize that what they're doing is, is sin, it's self-centeredness, and it's not as good as we thought it was. And we turn and we go to God. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. We know, and not only should we know, but we should live like we know. That's right. right? If you know God is good, then really what are you worried about? Right? Nothing. Yeah, well, man, I'm just super stressed out about what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, do you know that God is good? Right? The everlasting. We talked about this, Jeremiah 32, 40. The everlasting covenant. I only want to do good things for you. Those are God's words. I didn't make them up. It's not a special translation that I found. It's straight from the mouth of God to his people. That God only wants to do good things for you. What more do you need to know? Right? We know that God is good. So we've got to understand that and we've got to live like that. That's what makes it so easy to get uncomfortable with somebody because you know that God is good. And so it's easy to share about Jesus, right? Why wouldn't you tell them about the great church that you're a part of and love coming to on Sunday nights? Right? Amen. Because God is good. It's easy, right? Now it's like, oh man, it's, yeah, it's easy because God is good. Well, why do you serve Jesus? Because he's good. What about all the bad things that happen in life? It doesn't matter what happens in my life. God remains the same. God is good. He's good to me. He only wants to do good things for me. And sometimes the things that I don't like actually benefit me in the long term because he's good, because he's working on them on my behalf. Amen. Amen. Do you know, as you, as you now learn, you better know. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. The famous phrase says, right? Ask Jesus. Is he good? He's good. Next part is all things. So we know, we know that God's good, right? But what is he good at? All things. He's not just good at all things. He's good in all things, right? Not just a few things or the things that you or I have done good in. He's good in all things, even in the midst of the good and the bad and the ugly and the lame and the, and the burnt out and the whatever it is. God is good in the midst of them all. Even when things are not going well, God is still good. There's a little phrase that churches used to say. They say, God is good. And the church would respond, all the time. All the time. And the pastor would say, all the time. God is good. Because He is. 
It's not just a cute little saying that we could do to get you know people talking. It was it's a doctrine. It's a theology that God is good all the time. And just as a reminder, all the time, God is good. If you woke up every morning and said, God is good, eventually you'd start believing it. God is good all the time. Even in the traffic. When there wasn't supposed to be any. On February 14th at 5.30 p.m., I don't know where all y'all are going. You should be at your restaurant reservation. It was either at 4.45 or 11.30 p.m. You, you missed them. Right? God is still good. He's good in all things. Everything, all the time, God is good. And then he goes on to say, God, God works. See, we need God working on life for us. God is better at life than you and I. Did you know that? Yeah. A lot of people have likened it to maybe having, uh, you know, going back to the manufacturer. You get something that breaks. What do you do? You take it back to the manufacturer and say, hey, this thing broke. What should I be doing with it? And they go, well, here's the problem is you're not using it correctly. See, this is a baseball, and you were trying to grind orange juice with it. That's not how it works. You know what I mean? The baseball is for throwing and playing catch and hitting it and all that kind of stuff, and you're over here going, this doesn't work. That's what a lot of people do with their personal lives. They're over there grinding away on something, trying to make juice, and God's like, that's actually not what you were designed for. Uh, if you come back to me, I will show you that you're actually meant to get batted around. I was kidding. You're meant, that was a bad illustration. You're meant to get you know, used in this instance, used in this direction, used in this way, right? But we're over there going, oh, I don't know. God works. We know that God works in all things. Don't mistake uh, this, this sentence here. God works versus man's works, okay? When we work, we typically mess it up. When God works, it's always perfect. From the beginning, that's how it was. God put man in the garden. It was totally awesome, totally perfect, totally great. And then all of a sudden, man started fiddling around with stuff and, and broke it. Like, how do you break perfection? But, hey, we did it. Congratulations. You did it. You, you know, you, the snake came. And you, there's only, you know, there's a bazillion trees in the garden. And you wanted to eat the one that would break the thing, right? Good work, guys. You busted it. You know what I mean? If you just let stuff sit... Uh, because of mankind, it will just, you know, devolve and get busted. I mean, I don't have to do anything. All of a sudden, magical graffiti words, like in, in the book of Daniel, will get written all over these walls. Why is that? Why? Because of man just wants to mess things and, and ruin things. And, and, you know, some of it's art and some of it is not art. Somebody wrote cult on the hill next to us. I thought that was cool. I was like, you forgot the U-R-E, culture. Man prays and God works. That's the real formula. Now, that doesn't mean you can sit around watching Netflix all day and just say, God's working on my behalf. Praise the Lord, brother. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you're supposed to be praying. And then once you hear God's will, that's when you begin to work. Don't work outside of God's will because that's when it's just going to be fruitless and aimless. And we see people doing that and they think, man, if I get a billion dollars, that's going to be awesome. And that's going to be the end all. And that's going to solve all my problems. Then they get a billion dollars and they realize this is not what I wanted at all. And so I've got to go find something else and something else and something else and something else because they've got the wrong thing. They're working in the wrong direction. They're working the wrong way. We've got to get back to the place where God is working on our behalf right now. He's setting it up for good, for you, 
for your good. Not just mine. You know, oh, well, he's the pastor. He can say that because everything works out. No, 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 no. I'm just like the rest of us here. We all, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all get in things we weren't supposed to. We all pass through storms. But guess what? God is still working on our behalf. He's working on your behalf right now. He's already, get this, He's already written your story. And He's just waiting for you to walk it out now. Walk it out. So he says, God works. And he says, what does he work for? He works for the good. Not the bad. Not the suffering. Even though we're going to go through storms, his goodness is greater than our comfort. His goodness is actually our real comfort. We try and find comfort in kind of the temporal possessions of this world, but they're never really going to be a source of comfort. No matter how many you know, Netflix originals you watch in a row, that'll never be a true source of comfort, right? Only in Jesus are you going to find that. Only an understanding of eternity brings us the ultimate, never-ending source of comfort. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is actually giving another story. He's giving a parable, and he's talking about this guy named Lazarus, who he was the poorest of the poor. It's a strange story, and there's a strange detail, which I'm going to mention right now. It says that he had sores all over his body, and for some reason, Jesus wanted to make it just to like, you know, this is the, the worst of all things. This guy had sores on his body, and the, the lame dogs around the neighborhood would come and lick the sores. I was like, ooh, what was that for? <laughs> TMI, Jesus, TMI story. His, that was just a strange detail. But that's how dirt, down and dirty and dusty this poor Lazarus guy was. And it says there was a rich man, and he also had all this nice comfort and all this good stuff. And when they got to heaven, the guy named Lazarus was over in, in Abraham's bosom. which was, He was in heaven, and the rich guy was in hell. And the rich guy was like, Jesus, what's the big deal? And Jesus says, you had all your comfort here on earth. This guy was having dogs lick his sores. And so he got into heaven where he got cooled forever. And Jesus says, listen, everyone will be rewarded for what they do on earth. He said, and basically saying, put your trust, put your hope in eternity that you will be rewarded for the life you live. You may not have everything go good. You may not have a lot of stuff go well. But if you're serving Jesus, your eternal security can be, yes, I'm going to be set for life. Amen? Amen. That's where my real comfort is. I may be uncomfortable here on earth, but that's okay because I know forever is going to be better. That's what we're going for forever, for eternity. That's, that's the real good thing. Pursue the comfort of eternity in the presence of Jesus. See, his will and his goodness is greater and more important than our comfort or our ease. And that's hard to deal with because we live in a culture where comfort is number one. How comfortable can we get? Get nice chairs because the other chairs weren't as good or whatever. You know what I mean? Get the chair that can, you know, the seat in your car that has like 18 different levers and motions and ways so I can get the perfect, you know, comfort level. And then the set the thing to, I like it at 62 and a half degrees. That's my right temperature. And some guy over here is like, I don't want it 62. I like 75. So he's got his separate temperature. So it's nice and easy for him over here and nice and comfortable for him over here. And we're just, everything's about my preferences and my comfort and my ease, but really we should be seeking after Jesus. Anything good is worth pursuing. Then the question is, what is good? God 
is good. And therefore, God is worth pursuing. Worth getting in your word for, worth praying to, worth crying out to, worth fasting, worth separating your life from, from things and all this different stuff. Jesus is worth pursuing. Lay down your will, lay down your life, lay down your plans and submit your life to his. And then it will be worked for good, for his good. Then it goes on to those who love him. God is always working on behalf of those in covenant relationship with him. That's kind of a fancy way of saying God loves those who love him. He also loves those who don't love him which is even a deeper thought, especially on Valentine's Day. But God loves those who are in love with him and are following after him, are in a covenant relationship with him. Paige is saying you really can't show love without giving. Basically, it's a fancy way of saying the proof of love is action, doing something for somebody else. The way my kids know that I love them, I get up and I get them donuts. I also give them hugs. I also tell them I love them. I give them the words. I tell them the way that my dog knows that I love or do not love her is whether I feed it or not. I have delegated the responsibility of the love feeding to my children who obviously do not love my dog very often, maybe two to three times a week because they don't feed her all the time. And so mom or dad has to step in and show the love. Sometimes I'll flick the dog a piece of steak and then she'll want to sit in my lap. And I said, no, you can sit at my feet, dog. That's how I show love. <laughs> Covenant means commitment and devotion. The greatest act of love ever was God sending his son, Jesus, to lay down his life, secure ours. It was the most powerful act of covenant in history. Jesus is saying, as he said in Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with you, one where it's not based on rules and regulations, but it's based on loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, look, don't worry about everything, all those other things. I fulfilled them all. If we can just sum this whole covenant up in two things, love God, love others. And we realized, man, Jesus was extremely realistic about life. He realized all those things, you know, in the Old Testament were awesome because God said them. They're good. They're perfect. They're law from God. And everything God gives is perfect and awesome. But he also knows that man's sort of revelation, understanding of cleanliness, which is what a lot of those laws were based on, cleanliness, order, all these things. Man had had them for thousands of years. And so now Jesus could kick it up a notch and say, you don't need to live by those. Live by this law, the higher law, the royal law of love. God loves us. Love is never self-serving. Love is not boastful. It's not arrogant. Love doesn't take. Love gives. And those who love him give their lives to him. That's how we show him our love. God made an example by sending his son saying, I'm giving you my son to show you what true love looks like. And so our response to him is, Lord, I love you. Here's my life in return. FYI, this church is a church of people who love God. Amen. And we love Jesus and we're not ashamed and we're not ashamed to get uncomfortable about it, to let other people know that God is good. Amen. 
Amen. So then he goes, he, for those who love him and those who have been called. And I love this part because it kind of seemingly delineates and creates exclusivity. Like, God only does good stuff for those who love him, right? And those who are the called. Uh, well, you're right, cor- sort of, but we are the called. Acts 2.39 says this, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So the promise is to you. What's the promise? The promise of grace, the promise of favor, the promise of heaven for eternity, being in God's presence. The promise is to you. Say it's for me. It's to you. So the promise is to you. And it's to your children. Now stop there for a second. It's for you and your children. So far, we've got everybody covered, right? You and your children. But then he goes on to say, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So let's just say you want to read this completely literally, which you can do. You can read the Bible literally and do what the Bible says literally, and it will act the same. Amen? That's a deep thought also. But you say, well, you know what? Peter was only talking to the Jews who were there for Pentecost. So he's really saying, Peter, Peter's saying to the Jews, you sons and daughters of Abraham, the promise is to you. It's also for your children. But he goes on to say, for those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So, okay, well, he's just talking about the Jews who had been dispersed by the Roman government, you know, so he's only talking to Jews. No, because later on in Acts, Peter has this revelation. God has to show him that the promise of God for salvation, for grace, for favor extends beyond the Jews to all of the Gentiles. Guess what? We are Gentiles. God brings this, this, in this dream, brings down this sheet with all these different animals, and Peter recognizes them from the Old Testament, from the Old Law, and says, Lord, these are all unclean animals. And God says, how dare you call anything I made unclean? And Peter's like, whoa, you said it, not me. And he's like, no, this is where love, the royal law of love comes in. You have the commandments, which are good and holy and just, and you have love, which supersedes them all. And so God's saying, look, the promise isn't just for you and your children and all the Jews around the world. The promise is for you and your children and for everybody. Every single one of us has been called by God. Amen. We've all been called to favor. There's, there's no escaping it now. You, all, you and I are in it. And now we know, oh great, now I'm called, God's called me to favors, called me to blessing, calls me to grace, called me to life, an abundant life. It's to everyone. Jesus always includes everybody in his calling. We're all a part of it now. While we were still sinners, as every one of us, he loved us. He died for us. Amen. Amen. And then finally, according to his purpose. So we see that we've all been called children, us, all those who are far off, we see that it's for those who love him, that he's working good things in everything. But then he goes on and says, according to his purpose. And that's why he would do this whole thing. It's according to his purpose. Well, what's his purpose? Life and life more abundantly. That's his purpose for us. He wants you to have life in him and life more abundantly. He wants you to have the God kind of life is what that phrase in John 10, 10 says. Life and life more abundantly. It's the devil who is a real being who's the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy, make you sick, doubtful, angry, bind you, cut holes in your pockets, etc. 
Jesus has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Don't, don't get those two confused. That's the devil's favorite game to play, confuse God and himself. He'll tell you that it was God who is making life miserable. All, all, these, all these God, you know, these, that, these catastrophes, these came from God. These are acts of God. These terrible storms and, and, and that person over there, these is horrible. God is so bad. Don't follow him. And it's like, no, 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 no. God is good. And that's where we started this whole thing, is that God is good. And guess what? His purpose is also good. In that He wants everything to come out for good because His purpose is so that we can have goodness. We can understand the life that He has. And we often get into that place where we're confusing God with the devil. Don't get into that place. Let there be clarity tonight. God is good. God's ultimate purpose, this is a good one, is to separate us from the power and the presence of sin. On earth, by the grace of God, we can be separated from the power of sin. You do not have to be held bound, nor I do not have to be held bound by the power of sin because of the blood of Jesus. That's a great place to say, Amen. I don't have to give in to vice. I don't have to give in to addiction. I don't have to give in to temptation. I don't have to give in to anything. I can live in total and complete freedom from worry, from anxiety, from sickness, from death. I can have all of that wiped away by the grace and the favor of God. Amen. One day, though, and since we're still on here, we're surrounded by the presence of sin. It's all around us. But one day... He says, I'm going to give you a new city of God, a new Jerusalem, and a new earth. And on those places, there will be no sin, no weeping, no sickness, no tears, no pain, no shame. It'll just be perfection. That's where we want to go. That's that's eternity. That's the place that we're trying to get. But we know that God works all things for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. God's purpose is for us to be with him forever. God is good. His ways are good. His purpose is good. His love is good. His presence is good. His bride, the church is good. His people are good. He is good. He's good. He's good. He is good. He is good. And just for bonus, He is good. That's what we're trying to say. No matter what's going on, no matter the story of your life, is that God, in the next chapter, things are going to get good. So just go through the storm, believing God, saying He's good. Lord, I don't see anything right now because the wind and the rain and the lightning and the clouds is too stormy. I can't see. But I'm still going to say, you're good in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads as as we close tonight. The best part about this whole thing is that God does not write us off because of a few bad chapters. You don't understand, man, my life has been that repetition. My life has been that flat tire. My life has been that bad chapter. Not anymore. God saw the bad chapters and he wanted to write a good one. And so he's starting with the writing of good chapters tonight. It's changed tonight. It's changed because God's favor is on you and everything you do because you love Him. You're called by Him. You're blessed by Him. We don't have to repeat 
chapters. Some people think, oh man, I'm in a good chapter. I don't want to leave this. There's another chapter that can be even better by the grace of God. Don't remain in one chapter. Go to the next chapter. It's human for us to think that God only has one good chapter for us. It's divine to know that God's goodness never runs out. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, man, I have been in a bad chapter and I'm ready to get out of that chapter tonight. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand. Because I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that the chapter ends and a new chapter begins.